Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. We've been talking about love is. We've been on a series. We've been kind of going, breaking them down. And we're, we're feeling that we're going to wrap this up next week. Because then the week after that is Easter. How many of you excited about Easter? Easter is going to be fun. And so, hey, by the way, didn't the praise team just do an awesome job? I'm just, I'm loving, I'm loving the praise and worship music. So we've been talking about love is, and this week is an interesting topic. I did the true-false game for a reason. Because in order for something to be true, something else has to be false. I mean, you can't have true if, if I mean, otherwise everything is just true all the time. And so let's look at this. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's read the next verse. This is verse 6. And it says this, Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It's not happy when you sin, is it? But, but it does rejoice in the truth. Now l- let me read it to you out of the Amplified. The Amplified says, Love rejoices when right and truth prevail. Right and truth pr- prevail. And something I've noticed about truth is everybody kind of seems to have a slant or a definition of truth. Am I right about it? I mean, back years and years and years ago when the Bible was being taught really consistently and everybody went to church and everybody knew something about the Bible, truth was a little more defined. Now, everybody kind of seems to have their version of truth. You know, I heard one guy say, live your truth. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that means live whatever you feel is true or right, correct? And so I find that a lot of people are like Pilate. You remember when Jesus was about to be crucified and they brought him before Pilate and he said, I've come here to be a light to the truth. And Pilate looked at him and he said, what is truth? I don't feel like Pilate said that in a sarcastic meaning way. I feel like Pilate was sincere. He honestly wanted to know what is truth? So let's answer that question this morning, because isn't that the first thing you need to answer, is what is truth, so you know how to live in truth. You know how to know what what is right, what is true, and what is false, right? I'm holding up the wrong one there. So let's look at this. John chapter 17, verse 17 says this. It says, sanctify them, this is Jesus talking, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So God's word is truth, and we're sanctified by the truth. This is why Jesus said, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What was Jesus saying? He was clearly defining what truth is. Interesting about Jesus, if you read John chapter 1, in that chapter, it says that Jesus, his name before it became Jesus was the word. He was the Word. And it says in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was when Jesus, you know, came to the earth when Mary had that baby and he was born. Then now the Word turned into flesh. And he is the truth because he is the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. So anything that you read in red, especially, it's good stuff to soak in, right? And everything else in the Word is good to soak in, too, because all of it is the truth. 
John chapter 14, verse 6. Let's go back to what Jesus said again. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One thing I've noticed for me is that when the more of the word of God that I read, the more that I get it in my heart, because the Bible is like no other book that you've ever read. I mean, sometimes we read good books. I have people that recommend books to me, and I read them, and I, man, some of them are, can qualify as life-changing, but none of them qualify the way the Bible does. The Bible is interesting because the word is alive, and so what it does is it bypasses this thing up here, and it goes all the way to the heart. And when you feed on it, when you read it and you digest it, what it does is it takes root in your life and in your heart and you begin to become, you start to become what you're beholding in the Word of God. What you read takes root and it grows up and it begins to produce in your life. And it can produce exactly what you mean. You say, Pastor Phil, what do you mean by that? Well, if you take a scripture, many times I was sharing with Justin. Justin and I had a great conversation the other day and we were talking about you know, the Word of God and how you can put it to use and make it work for you. One of the things that I like to do is I keep scriptures in my phone and I categorize them in the, in the notes. And if I'm, because I, there's been times in my life where I needed help parenting. How many of you needed help parenting? Maybe still need help parenting? You know, even if your kids are gone and married, you still need help parenting. You know, it doesn't end. You know, once yours, always yours when it comes to your kids. You can back me down just a little bit if I'm beginning to feedback. Um, but, but all of us face different challenges in our life. And the cool thing about the Word of God is there's a scripture in there that covers everything that you're going through. Relationships with girls, relationships with boys, who to marry, what to look for in that husband. Man, how many of you think if, if I got some help in that area, man, it'd be great to make the right decision the first time, right? Instead of go through drama in your life. I know a lot of people that have been through drama, but I know some people that have been through drama, and now, man, when they got God involved in their relationship, they're having a wonderful relationship now. I think of my, I, th I think of family members that I have, that man, walk through that, but now God has blessed them with wonderful people in their life. So we all need a little bit of help, but how do you get that help? You take the truth of the word, you read it, and, and what I like to do is I like to speak it out loud over my life because God has given me creative power we just played that game right and the strongest muscle in proportion to its size in the body is the tongue well that goes way beyond just the muscle in there it's what you say how many of you know what you say is important what you speak over your life well when you speak good things over your life it produces good things especially when you speak the Word of God over your situation because it, it, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes what it was sent to do. And that's awesome. That's a very powerful tool. And I know you're going to get excited about it, right? But here's what's happening in our culture. Is in our society, many people are trading the truth. They're exchanging the truth for a lie. Let me read that to you. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It's going to be on the screen here. It says... Who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature instead of or rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see that some people have exchanged the truth. Maybe they once walked in the truth. Paul even had situations where 
people got born again and they, got, they received Christ and they started living for God, but then they backed away from the truth. They started worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Let me read to you. I, I read this on the internet and I thought, man, this is very interesting. This is philosophy news. Listen to what they said. They, they made this statement. Truth is surprisingly difficult to define. Yeah, I went, huh? Truth is surprisingly difficult to define. And, the, and if I read the explanation to, behind that, what they said, it, it, it makes some of you mad in here, okay? So I'm not, I'm not gonna make anybody mad <laughs> in here because I went, oh, wait a minute, you know, who are these guys? You know, but this is a picture of people in society who have exchanged truth for a lie. So what that means is they've believed something else, not because the, when you don't have a reference point, when you don't have a standard for what truth is, you have a tendency to believe anything. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, who was that? What was that guy's name? Okay, remember Mark Antony? How many of you remember Mark Antony? Okay, so he, he was, lost a battle, an important battle, and came home defeated. And when he got home, he found out that Cleopatra, he, he was told Cleopatra had committed suicide. He was so devastated by the news, he took his sword and plunged it into his abdomen, only to find out that it was a rumor created by her. So it wasn't even true. And he wound up dying in her arms. Well, listen, you don't need to die in that truth that you've been hanging on to. Sometimes truth can be produced by experiences. And we as Christians, man, when, when you make Jesus Lord of your life, what you're saying is, Jesus, I not only accept you, but I surrender to your plan for my life, but I also surrender to what you say in your word, of, in the word. That becomes truth. It is true. Man, glory to God that it is. So if you have no basis for truth, I think we're getting this, yet you tend to believe anything, and you're not the kind of people that believe anything, right? So my question to you is this, what is your truth? Where are you getting your truth from? Is it one of those deals you say, well, I read it on the internet, so you know it's true. <laughs> you know, or somebody posted it on social media, and you read it, and you go, man, that sounds good. Sometimes we believe stuff is truth because it rhymes. Sounds cool. Have you ever done that? You know, it was a lyric and a song. Man, that sounds really cool. That's, you know what? That sounds right. I remember one of my relatives asked me one time, they said, they said, Phil, you know, you're a pastor. Tell me if this is true or not. And she read this statement that, I, and it rhymed. And at first on the surface, it sounded good. But after I listened to it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. But this is what I discovered happened. I realized it wasn't a truth because it, it didn't line up with the word of God. See, the word of God is our gauge. You know, have you ever seen a so solar eclipse or whatever? I, I forget which planet is in front of who, but you know, when the planets align, right? And it creates this really cool darkness or whatever glow on the earth or whatever, whatever it produces. All right, well, let me tell you, when you take the word of God, when you study the word of God, when you read the word of God and you invest in it and you put it in your heart, and in your soul, then guess what happens? You recognize things when they're not true. All of a sudden, you get a red flag. It's like when you're dating a guy, right? And, and you find out he's not very integral. You catch him stealing. All of a sudden, that should be a red flag. Right? Okay, I don't, I'm not getting amens from some of the ladies in here, but, okay, right? I mean, if you, if you see something that is a moral issue, 
okay, in his life. A friend of ours, she was dating a guy until she found out that he drank. And she, she had a problem with that. Her standard is, I don't drink alcohol. I mean, she drinks Gatorade, water, tea. Everybody drinks something, you know. But he was drinking alcohol, and she was going, wait a minute, uh-uh. And she broke up with him. And I was so impressed. I said, man, kudos to you for sticking with your moral standard. Amen? All right. Don't feel condemned if that's not your standard, okay? I'm not, I'm not preaching condemnation in here. I'm just saying she has the truth in her heart and she wouldn't bend. It's important that you have the truth in your heart and you won't bend on the truth. Amen? All right. That was special effect there. So, John chapter 8, verse 32. Well, let me read this to you first. George Washington made a powerful statement. He said, truth will ultimately prevail when there are pains to bring it to light. So this is what we're going to do. We're not going to put anybody in pain, but we are going to take some pains to bring some truth to light this morning. Amen. That's our goal today. So John chapter 8, verse 32. Here's why. Look at what it says. This is Jesus talking. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me tell you, it's not the truth that you read that sets you free. It's the truth that you know on the inside of you. It's going to make you free. Free from what? Lies. Things that are not true. Amen? So people say, you know, live your truth. Well, is God's truth your truth? Oh. So, but let's read the rest of that verse. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Let me ask you a couple questions before I read the next verse. Because Jesus is talking to some Jewish leaders when he makes this statement. And before I read that ne this next verse to you, let me ask you a couple questions. Was Israel ever in bondage? Were they ever in captivity? Yes. yes. Okay, they were, in, they were in captivity for a little while to the Egyptians, only about 400 years, right? And then, and then they were in captivity to uh, the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. And currently, while Jesus is talking to them, they're in bondage or captivity to who? The Romans. The Romans are ruling the land. Now let's read the next verse in the light of that statement. Verse 33 says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anybody. Wow, how, how can they make that statement? We've never been in bondage to anybody, so how can you say you will be made free? They have proven to you by making this statement and to us that you can repeat something long enough that it becomes true to you. I'm going to show that to you in a different way here. Um, I'm, going to get, I'm going to get a little political on you here just for a second, okay? Will you indulge me? Is that okay? All right, but I'm going to give you some facts here. Um, on November 7th in 1801, Thomas Jefferson received a letter from the Baptist Association of Danbury, Connecticut. And I want to read to you the letter that they sent because at that time they were a little concerned about the United States and the direction that it was heading and they were concerned whether or not they were going to try to establish one religion in this nation. See, that's why that was the main reason that they left Europe was they wanted to get away from one religion. I mean, they had one religion over there and, they, and that, imagine if somebody told you, okay, you're a Satanist, you have to be a Satanist, you can only be a Satanist. You guys are looking at me like, I don't like that right away, I can tell. We wouldn't like it either. What if they said you could only be one religion, you could only be one denomination? 
Well, so let me read that letter to you. That was a little strong. Maybe I should have used a different example. But I didn't want to say another denomination. So here's the letter. Here's what they said. They said, our sentiments are uniformly on the side of religious liberties. That religion is at all times and places a matter between God and individuals. That the legitimate power of civil government extends no further than to punish the man who works ill to his neighbor. Our ancient charter together with the law uh, were adopted as the basis for our government. At the time, our, revol our, I'm sorry, our revolution that religion is considered, and I should have left it on the stand, I guess, is considered as the, as the first object of legislation and therefore what religious privileges we enjoy, we enjoy as favors granted and not as inalienable rights. So Jefferson receives this letter. He sends his response on January 1st, 1802. Listen to what he says in response. He says, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislation should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Therefore, and see if you recognize this phrase, building a wall of separation between church and state. Jefferson was the first one to make that statement. In his letter, what he's saying is, we will not, this nation will not establish one religion. In this regard, there will be a wall of separation between church and government. You guys see that? Okay, did you know that lawsuits arose in our nation that the courts used this letter? to again prove that what Jefferson was saying in regard to establishing one religion, that, you know, that that wouldn't happen in this country. There would always be a wall between church and state. So, but here's what happened. In 1947, there was a case, Engel or Everson versus the Board of Education. And in this case, what happened was, this was the first time that the courts took only eight words out of that letter. They didn't use the letter in its entirety and they didn't use the context of the letter. Now how would you feel if you wrote a letter to somebody and it's one paragraph and they took one sentence out of your paragraph and called your relative and said, hey, hey, did you, did you hear what your, what your relative said? And they totally twisted what you said. They didn't read the whole paragraph. They took one sentence. That happens today, doesn't it? Words get twisted, things get... Well, that's what happened. And so, the court made this announcement in 1947. This was a ruling. They said, the First Amendment has now erected a wall of separation between church and state. And that wall must be kept high and impregnable. So they made this statement. And so why would the court take Jefferson's letter completely out of context like that? Why would they only select eight words from that letter? Well, this is interesting. Dr. William James, the father of modern psychology and a strong opponent of Christian principles in education, he probably explained it the best, explained their strategy the best when he made this statement. He said, there is nothing so absurd but that if you repeat it long enough, people will begin to believe it. Wow. If you say something long enough, people will begin to believe it. Now, let's, let's put this into action on the other side. What about you? What if you say something long enough? Will you begin to believe it? Yeah. 
Why? Because your heart is designed, it was created to line up with your mouth. That's why the book of James associates your mouth, your tongue, as, a, as like a rudder in a ship. The rudder in the ship is what steers the ship wherever it goes. And the amazing thing about a rudder is it is so small, yet it steers these massive ships wherever it needs them to go. And your tongue is the same way, isn't it? Wow. So let me ask you a question. What are you building with your mouth? What kind of truth are you building in your heart? Because John 4, 4 says that the devil... He's a liar. It says the truth is not in him. And so he, he sets out on purpose to deceive people, right? So here's what I do want to do this morning is I want to give you three ways to build your truth. Three ways to build your truth. Real quick, and this won't take long. Good news is I'm, I'm moving along very quickly. Three ways to build your truth. Number one, seek to know the word. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Number one is seek to know the word. Not just hear the word, because the hearers are not the ones that get results. It's the doers, according to the book of James, right? It's not the people that just hear. It's not the tape players. It's not the conference goers, you know? I, I heard somebody talking recently, and they said, do you remember when we used to sit around and watch Jane, those Jane Fonda workout videos and eat popcorn? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember who it was. It was Stephen Furtick. He was talking about his parents. His parents would watch Jane Fonda do these workout videos, and they'd sit there eating popcorn, watching these videos. And Steve would say, Mom, Dad, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're, we're learning how to do it, so then we can do it. And he goes, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Something's wrong with this. Matthew chapter 4. Look at what it says. I'm going to read, start reading to you in verse 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that's not a fun destination, is it? God's going to lead you. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you up into the wilderness to be tempted. That sounds like fun. And then it says, When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. So this is the most obvious verse in the Bible, right? How would you be if you'd not eaten for 40 days, 40 nights? Yeah, you'd be a little bit hungry. And so in verse 3, it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So he's tempting Jesus with something that he knows Jesus has the ability to do. And how many of you think it didn't cross his mind already? I mean, you're up there in the wilderness, you're looking at the rocks going, man, I could go for some, some Ezekiel bread right now, man, with peanut butter on there, you know. And, and I mean, don't you think it would cross his mind? But what I want you to get is this, how Jesus responded. Because when you know what the Word of God says, you can respond with the Word of God. When you don't know what the Word of God says, you have this beautiful gun, and you how many of you gun owners? Don't raise your hands. Oh, good. Um, but you have this amazing gun, but you have no ammunition to put in it. I mean, you're at a gun range, and you've got this beautiful target out there, and you're ready to shoot, and you have this pistol, and you have nothing to put in it. But when you take the time to put the Word of God in your eyes, in your heart, in your ears, and it goes down to your soul, 
then guess what? You, you tend to remember it. When I was 15 years old, I, I volunteered in our children's uh, ministry there at the church in Tulsa. I grew up at Victory Church there in Tulsa. And I was volunteering in the kids' ministry. And I was playing guitar, you know, and enter, trying to entertain kids, which, man, if you've ever done that, you've got your hands full. And it's a blessing. No, not really. And, and so because I volunteered, back then they had a bookstore, and they had these things called cassette tapes. Now, I, I don't know if all of you know what cassette tapes are. Okay, good. People are shaking their heads. Yes, you've seen them. Maybe you've heard your parents talk about them. And so we got these cassette tapes, and, and I would go and I'd get, take a slip of paper to them, and that would entitle me to one free tape. Well, each week I got one of these. So I was looking around in the bookstore to see what they had, and they had a message by uh, Jerry Savelle. He had preached, he'd come to the church, and his message was, are you really determined to win, no matter what the cost? And it was a four-parter. And I thought, cool, I'll get the first one. And then I'll come back next week and get the second one. And so you know what I began to do was at nighttime, I had this little tape player. And back then, it was not endless play like it is now. You know, it played until the end, and then the reel quit spinning, and it locked up and shut off, right? And you heard the boom. Okay, so what I would do is I would play his tape when I went to bed. And I would sit there and sometimes lay awake and hear the whole, lay awake and hear the whole message before I'd finally fall asleep. Or I'd fall asleep and the little stop thing would wake me up for a minute. Oh yeah, it's just, the, you know. But here's the reason I'm bringing that up. I was feeding on it every single night. Well, in his message, his text, scripture that he used was Hebrews 12, one and two. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about, let us lay aside every weight. With such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin that so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. The I'm sorry, I won't keep going. But the reason I know that verse is because of the tape. Playing that tape every night. Why? Because again, the word of God goes past here and it goes down into your heart. Think about it. When you were in grade school, didn't they, didn't they hold up the little cards? And have you say your multiplication table, your addition, subtraction table out loud? Why are they having you say it out loud? Because you remember it better. Why? It bypasses your mind and it gets down in your heart. When something bypasses your mind and it gets in your heart, it's there when you need it. You're putting the bullet in your gun. All right. Those of you that are anti-gun, I, I just use that example out there. So that brings me to number two. Number one was seek to know the word. Number two is diligently do what? Speak the word. Diligently speak it out of your mouth. So listen to how Jesus replies. Here's why. In verse 4, he answers the tempter. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So now the devil is going, oh, okay. All right. I see how you are. You're going to respond to my temptation with truth. Well, I'm going to now tempt you with truth. And it's like, it's a really dumb idea. But listen to what he does in verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge. Now he's quoting the word. The devil is quoting the word. Yes, the devil knows scripture. Listen to what he says. He says, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands he will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
So sometimes the enemy will come to you with a partial truth. Why? He doesn't want to come to you out in the open. He's the deceiver. He has to figure out a way to sneak in, to hide his plan in some kind, package it up in some kind of a truth so that you bite off on it. And he can package all kinds of different things. You know, that person that you're dating, that person that maybe you're interested in, it may look like a pretty good package. Have you ever went, ever been in that situation where the package looks pretty good on the outside, but then you get to know them and you're like, oh, what happened? The whole thing didn't, you know, <laughs> this isn't the whole package. This is only a partial, you know, and what happened? You back up. You've got to be able to recognize that, but you can by the Spirit. And so Jesus says in verse 7, he says again, he says, it is written again. Now, another translation says it is also written because Satan Satan spoke the word to him. Jesus said, wait a minute, it's also written that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Would God ask you to jump off of a building just so he could save you? No, because why? He created common sense with you, right? I mean, it's different when you're in in an emergency situation. And man, I've seen, I've heard all kinds of miracles. Cars being moved, semis being pushed to the side, all kinds of miracles. Because God loves his kids, doesn't he? So number one, seek to know the word. Number two, diligently speak the word. And number three, determine to trust the word. Wait a minute. Man, just like Chris talked about in his offering, he, he had to trust God, that God was going to come through. I mean, what if your spouse took a job that paid half what, what you were making? Would you be able to trust God? We were in a situation on Friday night. We were, uh, went to a conference with some friends, and, and I was beginning to think because we had a lot of outgo last month. You know, we were buying equipment for the church, and we were uh, doing different things, and, and we got down to pretty, you know, closer than I like to be. <laughs> I like to have, you know, some padding in there. How many of you like padding? Yeah, me too. I like to have some padding in there. And we were starting to get down pretty close, and I said, well, Lord, this doesn't take you by surprise. So I'm not, I refuse to worry about it. You know, the Bible says to cast your care over on him. If you have financial concerns, you know what it's time to do? Lord, I cast this over on you. And it doesn't change no matter how mature you get in your faith. You never reach a place in your faith where all of a sudden you don't have any more financial opportunities. They get a little bigger, honestly. Why? Because God wants to take your faith higher. He wants to make you stronger. He wants you to believe him for more. And so anyway, we were in this, I was thinking, I said, well, Lord, you know where we're at and we need a miracle. Not, it wasn't a miracle, but we, we need, we need you to come through somehow. And so then I was handed a check that night. Somebody handed us a check and I said, oh, glory to God, Lord, you're faithful. You are so faithful. He is. And it's no different for you. It works the same for everybody. The word will work, but you have to work the word. And you can't work the word if you don't trust what it says. But you know what people have been doing lately is they've been twisting what the word says. Why? Because they're basing it on their experiences. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth.
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. So, we have a decision to make. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to believe Him? Because let me tell you, He cares so much about you. He cares about your business. He cares about your relationship. He cares about your money. He cares about your future. Let me tell you, God cares more than you do. You thought you cared about your life pretty good. Not as good as God does. He cares more about you fulfilling His will on the earth than you do. And you know what? God has the good ideas. I, I heard this story about World War II. Ships, we were losing. The enemy was sinking more ships than we could build. And they, they were sinking them faster than we could build them. At that time, it took our crew uh, about a year to build a ship, beginning to end. Well, thank God, God gave one of these inventors an amazing idea to build a ship in one week. But what they had to do was they had to invert it and build the bottom first. So they had, to, they had to build it upside down. So that way they were able to get all their welds done. But they ran into a problem. When they would flip the ship over, the welds would all break and it would come apart. So they were trying to figure out how could they solve this issue. So they found this famous industrialist at the time and this was a man that was a very spiritual man. He loved God with all of his heart. And they came to him and they said, is there any way you can fix what's happening? We have this great idea to build these ships, but every time we try to invert them, flip them over, they come apart. And he said, let me think about it. And let me pray about it. And so he went home and he began to fast and he began to pray. And you know what happened? God gave him the welding formula to use that would keep that ship intact so they were able to flip them over without them coming apart. See, God has those ideas waiting on you. He's got the ideas. But are we turning to Him? Are we trusting Him? Are you, when you're faced with a situation, do you run to the phone first? Or do you run to the throne? Do you begin to go to your Bible and look for scriptures that have to do with your situation and take that scripture and go, Lord, this is what I'm standing on. I'm standing on this scripture right here. See, we have a vision for Vision Church because I read in Proverbs where it says that people perish for a lack of vision for their life. And so it's our desire that every person here would have a vision for their marriage, for their home, for their business for them personally, for the, you know, that they would be able to have a vision in every area. Because if you have a vision, you have a target. You have somewhere to head. I'm gonna end with this. I, we have a friend named Shanna who lives in Orlando, Florida now. Shanna was diagnosed with cancer in her throat, uh, her esophagus. It was attached, her tonsil, I'm sorry. It was attached and it grew and it began to grow to the point that it got as big as like a tennis ball, baseball size on her neck. 
And, and it grew so big that she started to wear uh, uh, scarves to cover it up and to hide it. And I remember a Sunday that the Lord just really impressed on me to begin to share about taking the Word of God and putting it to work. I've, I've never shared this testimony. I, I haven't shared this testimony here, uh, but my mom was healed. She had a massive heart attack. And 16 days later, she walked out of the hospital. But we learned how to take the Word of God and stand on it. And we had been studying healing all the way up to when mom had her heart attack. And I was so thankful because I had ammunition in my arson. I, God had prepared us to be able to begin to believe for mom and her healing and her as well. And, and so Shanna, you know, I was sharing that story. I shared that testimony about my mom and, and I was preaching about putting the word to work in your life. And Shanna began to do that. She began to take scriptures. She wrote them down. She began to quote them every day as she would pray and speak them over her situation. And do you know that at first this began to grow? Because this is what the enemy does. He likes to try to make things worse for you so that you'll get out of faith, so that you'll quit believing. He likes to try and make it look like you're going to fail. But if you, the only way that you'll fail is if you just quit. But she didn't quit. She stuck with it. And she even went to the hospital at one point, And it was so large. I mean, it was the largest that I'd ever seen it. And I said, well, what did the doctor say? And she was in tears. She said, the doctor said, because she decided she didn't want to go through chemotherapy. She didn't want poison going in her body, trying killing off other stuff that she needed with the cancer she wanted to believe God and that was her faith I'm not I'm not saying that's right for everybody okay that just in her situation she had made that decision and and it, this thing began to grow and the doctor yelled at her and he said listen if you don't do something if you don't take chemo you're gonna be dead in two weeks I give you two weeks man she was just in tears and she called me and I, you know, and all I know is the Word of God. But let me tell you, that's the best thing to know, is what the Word says. Oh, she called, and I prayed for her over the phone, and I said, I said, Shanna, what, is, what are you believing God for? And I brought her back to what she said she was believing God for. She said, I'm believing for my complete healing. She said, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do chemo. I refuse. I said, okay. I believe with you. And we prayed on the phone. And do you know that this wound up being tonsillitis? When they discovered it was ton that she had tonsillitis, they gave her medicine. This began to shrink. It shrank, it shrank, it shrank. It shrank, it still shrank, and, and she quit wearing scarves. You couldn't see it anymore. The last time I saw her before she moved to Orlando, and by the way, we talk often. She still calls me, and, and she's, uh, she's going to uh, healing school down there, which I love, because she's feeding on the Word. She's driving over an hour one way to be in healing school every day, because 
she's not gonna she's not gonna go quietly you know what the problem with a lot of Christians is they, they go they go, go quietly why why when the if you knew that you could not fail what would you stand and believe God for if you knew that you couldn't fail that was where she was and do you know that that thing all but disappeared and she's continuing to walk out her healing so but she put her trust in the Word of God so that's my question to you this morning are you putting your trust in the Word of God are you putting your trust in him or are you gonna try and handle it yourself you can try and figure it out on your on your own because you can try you can try to but let me tell you the best thing I ever did in my life was get God involved I got God involved in our in our ministry this ministry doesn't do anything unless we pray first prayers the foundation of everything why we need to hear from heaven you don't need to hear from Phil they just mute everything on the board back there except me and Zach's guitar and the piano that should get rid of everything and so what I want to do this morning is I want to pray for you because I believe many of you are standing and you're you're believing God in your own life but you've been tempted you've been tempted to give up and God doesn't want you to give up he wants you to continue to stand All right. on Wednesday night we listened we had a special speaker uh, on video and it was it was amazing but one of the things that he said was he's a blind guy but he said I guarantee you in the in the National Baseball League if you stood me up at the plate I could hit a home run guys blind and he said if they would change one rule in baseball I get to hit until I knock it over the fence how many of you could hit a home run in that scenario? We all could. If we got to swing until we hit what we want. But let me tell you, that's what faith is. You get to swing until you hit what you want. So I'm here to ask you this morning, what is it that, you're want, that you want? What is it that you're believing God for? It's time, it's time to go to a deeper level and trust. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, vision for life.